0: Well, good morning. Greetings to each of you. And welcome to the house of the Lord to worship the Lord this morning, to come before His presence, and to learn from Him. I greet you in Jesus' name this morning, the one who made it possible for us to have a relationship with God. as gordon shared this morning in his devotional to be born into the family of god and to experience acceptance and love and correction and to find a place of trust appreciated those thoughts this morning we've been i've been preaching my way through the book of first peter so if you would turn there this morning 1 Peter chapter 2. One of the things that I've been doing as I've been preaching through this book is to read the passage I'm planning to preach every morning as part of my devotional time. And it's been almost a month since I've preached. So I think it's been about 27 days in a row that I've read First Peter 2, verses 1 through 12. And they didn't get old. There's a lot there. There's a lot, I believe, for us to learn there. But when I sat down to put my some of my thoughts together, there was so much there, I sort of feel like it was difficult to put this message together. So, may the Lord be with us this morning and, and direct us, um, direct our our minds and thoughts as we look into this passage. And my prayer is that you can be encouraged and challenged to think more deeply about God this morning and about what He has done for us. I have a homework assignment for you for this coming week. John mentioned I'm going to be preaching three Sundays in a row. So my homework assignment for you is that in your devotional time, Uh, Read verses 13 through 25 this coming week and familiarize yourself with that portion of Scripture. And we'll, Lord willing, look at that next week. Well, we're just, we finished up chapter one. And one of the things I like to do as I study the Scripture is to, as I read a passage each each day or a chapter, I like to go back into the previous chapter and try to get the the thoughts from that chapter and see how they feed into the next chapter. And um, so we haven't looked at this for a while, and there's some thoughts in chapter 1 that that lead into what's beginning here in chapter 2. And they're characterized in verses 22 and 23, or they're... The talked about there and and both of those things have to do with the truth and sometimes you know we we use the word truth or at least i do maybe i should speak for myself and i don't often think about how significant that word is how significant that is to my life and we think about um I think in general, we all have kind of this idea that the way we're living, the way we are, is is a true way or a right way to live. It's it's the truth in in some sense. I mean, if we didn't believe it was the truth, we'd probably be doing something different. But how significant is the truth? What is the truth? And... how significant is it to our lives and are the things that we consider to be true as true as we think they are? God's Word, God and His Word claims to reveal to us the truth. And He does reveal to us the truth in His Word. And just give you that as kind of a, of a backdrop for your thoughts um, as you consider your life as you consider how you live how important is the truth to me and, and what God's Word talks about is not just truth in the sense of the right thing to do but it also talks about truth in the sense of the consequence of disobeying the truth and So it lays out to us reality. The reality of wrongdoing and its consequence and the reality of of right and its results. And in verse 22 of chapter 1, it says, "...seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren." And so we have a connection here between obeying the truth and love. So truth and love are together there. Like truth has led them into love. And then in verse 23, it says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the eternal truth. So it says that that these believers were born again by eternal truth. The Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You see verse 22 is a result of verse 23. These people were born again, and as a result of that birth, by the eternal Word of truth, their, their souls are being purified to love. To bring about love. So that's kind of the that's kind of the the flow of thought that is moving here into chapter two, <clears throat> and he says, beginning. Well, maybe we'll we'll take that and we'll begin reading here in chapter two and read down to verse twelve. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypo- and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that she may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness, Into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So this idea of being born again by the word of truth, and that that truth leads us to love. And Peter begins this chapter 2 by saying, wherefore, because of this, lay aside these works, these deeds, Malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, evil speakings. What are those things? Well, those are things that come from a result of us making an attempt to protect ourselves. To control our environment. And at least guile for one is the exact opposite of the truth. He's saying you've been born again. Lay aside those things that were part of your life before. But here's what you should do in verse 2. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. So you've been born of the Word and birth is a beginning of life in a family. A beginning of a life experience. And of you that have been around a little baby, a newborn baby, you know what their interest is. It's in food. I tried to do a little bit of research on a newborn baby and their stomach is holds about an ounce, about the size of a golf ball or a little bit bigger, and they need about 18 ounces a day. So that stomach has to be filled pretty often. Actually, I think it was maybe it was close to 2 ounces that it was. It, need, it needs to be filled about 7 or 8 times a day to get the nutrition that they need. And that's the kind of that Peter's talking about here. He's talking about the fact that as a newborn baby in Christ, you need nourishment. You need nourishment from the Word. So, thinking about that, we need nourishment from the Word. What does the Word show us? What can we... What can we in, in, a, in a small, uh, in a nutshell, say that the Word tells us? Well, Jesus summed it up. He said it's love for God and love for your fellow man. And what we read in verse 22 was that God's truth leads us to love. And so our need for the Word Our need to grow. How will we grow? We will grow in love. We will grow in our love for God and for our fellow man. And that's the kind of growth that needs to happen in our lives. To grow in love, then we need to grow in truth. In God's truth. And correspondingly, whether it's in our marriage, our family, our church, our neighbors, etc. The answer to growth in those relationships, to growing in love is to grow in the word of truth. To feed on the truth. Truth is essential to our relationships. So the question that I have for you this morning is, do you want to know the truth? Because you see, sometimes truth is not always easy to hear. Why do people resist the truth? If if the truth simply builds relationships and brings people together and increases our love, Why do people resist the truth? Well, it's because this kind of love calls for sacrifice. It calls for giving up. So how do we learn to embrace the sacrifice that God's truth calls us to? I want us to notice a word in in verse 2. It's the word desire. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. Do you want to know the truth? Do you desire to know God's Word? Do you desire to know God? What is desire? Desire is is a heart-level motivation. Do you have that kind of a desire for God's Word? And I'll confess to you that sometimes I have not Sometimes I don't. And it's usually, maybe I should say it's always, because I don't realize the value of truth in my life. But because of new birth, because of being born as a child of God and being born by that truth, we should have a heart-level motivation to know the Word of God. And then that takes us into verse 3. Peter links that desire with something. He says, If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you tasted that God is good? Do you know Him as a good God? And that's one of the reasons why I preached a message on discovering a good God because of this verse. Have we discovered a good God? Do we believe that His truth has our best interests at heart? And that to know His Word better will draw us into a better life, a better experience. someone said, and I thought about this in relation to to this idea of tasting that the Lord is gracious. Behind every atheist is a wounded theist. And I don't know if that's verifiable, but I think that's the concept here. It's the concept that when someone's view of God is wrong or... When they believe that God is is a person who doesn't truly love, it makes it difficult for them, if not impossible, for them to desire his truth, to desire to know his way. What about us? Maybe we wouldn't maybe we're not atheists, but do we have these little Areas of doubt that God is really good. Have we really tasted that He is good? And I believe that our view of God is critical to our desire for truth. And truth is critical to our relationships moving forward. And if those two things are true, then we should desire the Word of God. If we know that He is good. Peter said in verse 4, he said, "...you have come to Him, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious." So he's saying that that in coming to Christ, that was a result of you tasting of His graciousness. You came to Him as a living stone. And I see two things here. One of them is the living aspect and the other is the stone. What does it mean to truly live? When... uh, When we take calls for the billboard evangelism, if we get a billboard message or location, they want us to turn that call in and as a call report. And then that call report is we do that verbally and they transcribe it and they send all the call reports out to all the team. And that way we can read the call reports and tell, like, if I haven't been on for several days, I can read, a, read the call reports and tell, you know, kind of what the activity is and who's been calling in, etc. And um, I noticed something in a, in a call report about a week ago. There was a man that called in. He didn't talk to me. He talked to somebody else. And um, he was struggling with issues of sin in his life. And he had gotten to the place where he was where he was so in bondage that he just wanted to be free. And his comment to the person he was talking to to the team member was I'm not living anymore. I'm in prison. Was he living? What was his Was it the fact that he was not alive, or was it the fact that his understanding of life was not, he was not experiencing what he understood that life should be? And I think that's what it's talking about when it's talking about life here. Christ's life. As a living stone, Christ's life was a perfect representation of what life should be. It was life that was properly ordered according to truth. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. It was a perfectly ordered representation of what life should look like. He was our perfect example. What about the stone? A stone is something solid. Truth brings stability because it is unchanging. It removes uncertainty and establishes trust. When truth breaks down and we realize that truth is broken down, trust breaks down. And suddenly life becomes very fragile as a result of that. And Peter's saying that these people came to Christ because they saw what life should look like. And He was solid and true and something they could trust in. And they came to Him as a living stone. Now I want to just go down through the next several verses and I want to look at at what God's perspective about that stone was. And these things come up several times in in these verses. God's perspective about that stone in verse 4 was that it was chosen and precious. Moving down to verse 6. A prophetic message from Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16 where God says prophetically about it that it was elect and precious and then another quote in, in verse 7 from Psalm 118 that it was the head of the corner so that's what God that's God's perspective about this stone this living stone; that it was precious, it was chosen, and it was the head of the corner. What is the head of the corner? Well, it's the primary importance of what God's doing. It's the primary foundational part of the work that God is doing, and that's what God thinks about this stone. But if we, there's also another perspective in here, and that's of of disbelieving men of this stone. In verse four, disallowed indeed of men. And also in verse seven, that same idea is there. The stone which the builders disallowed, and that disallowed also means rejected. So they rejected this stone. And then verse eight says that it was a uh, there was a stumbling stone. And an offense, a rock of offense, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. First part of the verse. I was looking in the latter part of the verse. So, this is what disbelieving man's perspective is about Christ, about the living stone. And then we also have in verse seven the perspective of believers. Unto you, therefore, which believe, He is precious. So you see how that through belief, that perspective lines up with God. As our perspective is lined up with the truth through belief, our perspective is lined up with God's. What I want us to think about though is the contrast between what man thought What disbelieving man thinks about Christ, and what God thinks, and what believers think. As I pondered this, I was reminded of a conversation that I had a while back with a man who didn't believe. And uh, we were talking about some issues of right and wrong. And on some of those issues, we agreed. And near the end of the conversation, he said, well, I think we believe a lot of the same things. And I said, on the surface, there are some similarities. But deep down inside, I see a lot of differences in what we believe. Because the fundamental reason of why I come to that place is different than the fundamental reason why you do. And I actually... Our beliefs are polar opposites. And that's what we see here in this passage. Because I came to those beliefs because of an experience with Jesus Christ. And he thought Jesus Christ had nothing to do with it. And so we were at polar opposites in what we actually believed about God's truth. And someone mentioned something to me this week, and they said we shouldn't compare ourselves to the world. We should contrast ourselves with the world. You see, our line of thinking should be polar opposites because the fundamental re- thinking about who we are and about truth is, is completely different. comes from a completely different place. Completely different value system. Men's Sunday school class, we talked about that just a little bit. What do we value? And I think that's very much in this text here because God looked at that as precious. To you which believe He is precious. What is our value system? Where do our beliefs come from? They come out of our value system. So we... Through belief in this living stone, we have an experience. Jesus talked about this experience in John chapter 8, verse 31. He says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, If ye abide in My word, ye are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In verse 34, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say unto you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So we come to this living stone. We come to this truth to be made free. Free from the bondage that we experience in sin and the disorder that comes to our lives as a result of sin. The truth frees us and transforms our life. And just as Jesus is the truth and the living cornerstone, you and I, through the truth, are built into that same building. Look at verse 5. Ye also... As lively stones, exact same Greek word used there as talking about the living stone in verse 4. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I want to focus on three things that Peter talks about in this passage in his next couple of verses in relation to the believer. A place, a people, and a purpose. Number one, a place. Verse 5, we have a place in the building of God, in the house of God. A house is a place of security. And in verse 9, it says we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. So we don't have a place of security, but we have a place of light. Vision to properly order our lives. By way of commentary, I'm going to read two verses on that idea of a place of both light and building. I'm going to read two verses from 2 Corinthians. Uh, One is the last verse of chapter 4, and the next one is the first verse of chapter 5. 2 Corinthians four eighteen, While we do not look at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. A spiritual house. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens a house that transcends our physical existence. The security of being part of the house of God rests on its eternal quality. So it's an eternal house. It's an eternal place. And God is giving us an eternal place of refuge when we come to Him. A people Again in verse 5, a holy priesthood. Verse 9, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And that word peculiar there means a special people. His own special people. So God not only wants to give us a place in His house, He wants to make us part of His family. He wants to make us His people. His special people. He has chosen believers in every age, in every generation. And the word priesthood refers to the capacity to minister to God. So we are a special people, His own people, who are chosen to be part of His holy nation, His kingdom, to minister to Him, to serve Him. And verse 10, it says we are now the people of God. We were not the people of God, and now we're the people of God. So Peter is, is, is showing these believers and he's showing us that we have a place with God and we are the people of God. And you could look into those specific things and draw a lot from them. But we not only have the security of a place to be, we have the security of a place to belong. And Gordon talked about that this morning, that we have a need to belong. We have a deep need to belong in a family. And God wants to make you part of His family. A purpose. Verse 5 to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Verse 9, to shew forth the praises of Him who hath called you. And verse 12, they may by Your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. So we see spiritual sacrifices Show forth His praises and to do good. i have you another homework assignment. Hopefully the homework won't be too, too steep this week. But that is, and you can, you can spend more time doing this, but go through the New Testament and find the places where it talks about the New Testament sacrifices. The New Testament talks a lot about sacrifices. There's a different kind of sacrifices than the Old Testament. It's the kinds of things like giving your body, thanksgiving, praise, worship. Sacrifices that God is well pleased with. God has a purpose for you in His family, in His household. Conclusion. What is a life transformed by truth? Well, transformation is change. And it's a change from a life that is wrongly ordered because of sin to a life that is rightly ordered because of truth. And there's one more thing that as I read through this passage and I really struggled to to put my finger on it or even to be able to, to explain what I was what I was thinking about. So I'm going to give it a try. Maybe we can talk about it more later if you have questions about, about it. But you know, God gave the law in the Old Testament, but the law did clearly did not work to transform the lives of people. Why did it not work? Did it not reveal the truth? No, it revealed the truth. It wasn't because it didn't reveal the truth. But in Hebrews chapter 4, and this is speaking about the um, Israelites in the wilderness, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says this For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And so the truth was there. The Gospel was there. But there was something missing that kept it from profiting them. And the Hebrew writer says it was faith. Well, it's through faith that we come into relationship with God. Without faith it is impossible to please Him for he that cometh to God, he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So you see this, this idea again that God is good and we must believe we must, we must believe that God is good and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And there we have the other part of it. The seeking part. The pursuing part. Truth is not effective when it is simply cold and distant. There has to be a relationship established with the message. And Jesus came to initiate that relationship. Jesus came to speak the truth in love. And through belief, we enter into that relationship with God. And so as a result of that experience with God, the tasting that He is good, we begin to internalize and make the truth our own. We are born again by the word of truth. And that transforms us as it begins to come out in our lives. But God transforms the very foundation of who we are. He transforms our place and our person and our purpose. And He does that to transform our life. To be a special people, secure in our place with an almighty God. And so verse 11 says, as this set apart people, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from sin, fleshly lust, which wars against the soul, so this sin, which is, is disordering of the truth, it breaks down what the truth wants to do in our lives and, and goes to war against that eternal place that we have with God. It distorts the image of truth. So Peter's saying, stay away from that. That's destroying these things that these precious things that you have in Christ. These things your heart longs for. And then verse 12 is what our lives should look like. Our lives should be aligned with the truth among unbelievers. This is kind of a Phillips revised version of verse 12. Our lives should be aligned with truth among believers so that even though they don't agree with our values, our, our good deeds that they observe will bring them to an experience with the goodness of God. So we live our lives among those around us in a way that portrays the truth of God and portrays our relationship with Him that is good. And as a result, even though they may not agree with us, may not agree with our values, they will come to a place of recognizing the goodness of God. So may we be transformed not by what we think, but by what God thinks, by the word of truth. The Lord bless you. Shall we have a song?